Our second Bible reading today from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, through now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This have come so that your so that your face of great greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Thank you, Dahlia, for reading uh, that passage of scripture uh, for us. And... uh, as you know, Dalia is uh, from Egypt, and uh, we need to remember our Christians, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt, by the way, and those who in our congregation who have family members back in Egypt. So uh, please pray uh, for them and uh, support and encourage uh, them in their lives here as well. So let's uh, come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you give us understanding of your word and help us to apply it in our hearts and lives. I pray for myself that you forgive me for my sins and help me to do this work that you call me to do by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you may receive glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, um, some time ago my parents uh, wrote their will uh, and they gave me a copy of their will so that I might file a copy in my filing cabinet. It was kind of a weird experience to receive uh, copies of my parents' will. Same thing happened with my father-in-law. He's written a will and uh, gave it to to Rose and uh, for us as a copy to keep. And we ourselves as parents have uh, written a will as well so that if something happens to us, our inheritance, whatever we have, our children will receive. Uh, I'm sure most of us have written wills or at least... Maybe you're contemplating one. The idea is that you write your will, leave your inheritance behind, so those who are left behind will not have to go through all the legal process. We will be able to receive that inheritance, whatever you may have left for them. The text this morning speaks about an inheritance. But the inheritance here is something that is extremely secure. The inheritance that I may receive one day my parents passes away, 
It'll be something that I'll enjoy here on earth, but that's it. But I may not even live to receive that inheritance. Because we take life for granted, don't we? We think we're here to live longer than our parents, but we may not. We assume a lot of things in our lives. But here, this morning, we see God's Word speaking about an inheritance. Money, perhaps, wealth, investments. I had a friend, past couple of weeks ago, I met with him for lunch. A very faithful, godly pastor, retired minister of the Presbyterian Church. He said to me, Chris, uh, how are you going with your investments? Have you seen a financial planner? Are you planning for the future, you know, retirement? And I've got a long way more to retire, I hope so. Um, are you planning for the future? And then he, he visited his financial planner and he came back after that. We went for lunch together. He gave me two cards and he said, I want you to talk to these guys. I've already spoken about you with them. Oh, wow, that's great. Um, I want you to talk to them about it, your financial planning, your management of funds and so forth for the future. A very gentle man and so gracious and concerned for other servants of the gospel, which is so important, all right? Uh, so in, uh, an inheritance, we perhaps think all kinds of things about it. I'll come back to that in a moment. You see, the context of this inheritance is in the context of the hope that we have here. The Apostle Paul has been spe- uh, Apostle Peter has been speaking about a living hope. Hope that we have that is set in a person, Jesus Christ. As I mentioned last week, what in the world is this word hope? What does it really mean? Is it really that essential and necessary for living? I defined Webster's Dictionary as uh, mentioned uh, in, in that dictionary, defines it as follows. To desire with expectation of fulfillment. Therefore, to hope is to anticipate. It is possessing within ourselves an expectation that someday there will be the fulfillment of that desire. And whatever that desire will be, that maybe that one day it will become a reality. That dream will be fulfilled. For example, you hope, you dream that one day when you retire, it's been a retirement a lot this morning, you can travel and you can do things that you really like to do. I mean, uh, my wife said the other day, I've, I don't use her often uh, as an example, she said to me, Chris, wouldn't it be nice to just get into the car, pack the car, and just drive away, just walk fast, and just enjoy and look around Australia? I said to her, darling, that would be nice. I've got a work to do here. I've got to take my lawn service leave, perhaps, to do that. We've got all kinds of hopes, don't we? We want to do these things in our lives. And so with the desire, with, the, with that dream, perhaps to retire, with that hope in mind, you work hard, you save for your retirement, so that one day you can live the dream, hanging out at the beach and sipping some beautiful iced tea. Wouldn't that be great? So hope always looks to the future. All right? But sadly, at times, our hopes can be dashed to pieces, and our dreams can be shattered. You might dream to have a great marriage. You heard this morning, marriage can fail. You might dream to do well in your career, but you might lose your job. And our hopes can be shattered. Then what do we do? Is there hope? I was reading this past week that the the level of violence has increased in Australia incredibly this past few months. Youth violence, domestic violence... Because people don't have perhaps any hope for their life. Hope for their day-to-day living, for their futures. So where do we look for certainty in a world of uncertainty? 
You see, God's word tells us that we can live with certainty, friends. That is for sure. All right? The word of God tells us that we can live life with certainty by not focusing just on the year and now. Our hope is not an empty one. Rather, our hope is one of confidence, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of tears, even in the midst of loneliness. When you're all alone, our God is with us. For those who are going through the hurts in their lives, for those who are grieving, for those who've lost their husbands, their wives, you're a widow or a widower and you're feeling so alone. For those who are just going through difficulties in your life, is there hope? Yes, there is. Our hope transcends circumstances. Why? Because we have a living hope. It is a living hope because as we noted last week, our hope is based on a real person who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so that keeps us going. That certainly keeps me going every day. When I get up in the morning, I, in the midst of whatever weeks we may have, sometimes in ministry you get all kinds of funny weeks, okay? Sometimes you're cruising along, other times you're really down. Other times you get attacked from all kinds of areas, so spiritual attacks come your way. But our hope and our confidence is in the living Christ that keeps us going, certainly keeps me going. The Apostle Peter says this, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I touched on it, but I just want to say again this morning that if you take the resurrection out of Christianity, then there is no hope. We have a perfect Savior. We have a sinless Savior. A Savior with whom there can be no accusations brought about his lifestyle. A Savior who is absolutely spotless. A sinless Savior who died by taking our sin upon him. But that was not the end. He rose again from the dead and is a living hope. A real person, Jesus Christ. That's why we worship him, don't we? That's why we are here this morning, because he is our living Savior. Don't you think so? Friends, tell me. Otherwise, you and I could have been sleeping at home and sipping a cup of latte, coffee, and just resting in a bed. Wouldn't that be good? But we are here because we have a living Savior, a living God, the most amazing person ever to live upon this earth, Jesus Christ the sinless Lamb of God, with whom there can be no accusations laid against him of his lifestyle, of his morals, nothing. This is the Savior. And Peter calls and says, this is the living hope, Christians. Remember this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter himself was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'm, I'm, I'm laboring on this point because this is so critical. I mean, you might be tested in your faith. You might be challenged in school. You might be confronted at uni. You might be confronted in the workplace. Why do you believe Jesus? Why do you believe Christian, uh, the, the gospel? What did you do on Sunday? I went to church. Oh, really? Why? Look at what Peter says here. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. Do you see that? Peter saw it. Again, in Acts chapter 3, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of that. It is a historical fact. 
and without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, our hope is meaningless and we do not have an inheritance to look forward to. We'll come to that in a moment. Our hope then is dead. So Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to encourage the Christians who are scattered throughout the provinces of Asia and to all of us. And so Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just paused on that when I was preparing this message this past week. You know, is Jesus really the Lord? One writer puts it this way, to call Jesus Lord is to declare that he is God. I want to ask you the question this morning. It's one thing to say, Jesus is my Savior, right? We can all say that. Oh, yes, he is my Savior. Wow, praise God for that. Next question. Is he actually your Lord? Is he my Lord? How do I live my life? Where does the Lordship of Christ fit into the saving work of Jesus? Okay, Jesus is my Savior. You stay over there. Lordship of Christ? I'm not really sure. How does the Lordship of Christ fit in with your priorities in life? With mine. How does the Lordship of Christ influence us as husbands to love our wives and to care for them and to cherish them? How does the Lordship of Christ fit into you wives to love your husbands and to say, Darling, I just love you. Just let me make you a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. I'm there for you. Just an example, all right? <laughs> okay. How does it relate to you as in the Lordship of Christ as a, as a child with respect to your parents, how you treat them. How does it relate to me as a pastor of this congregation? Often, I mean, I think about it all the time. How does it affect my ministry? See, Peter says, is the Lord. The Lordship of Christ. See, I wonder at times whether we as Christians forget the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Do we? Have we forgotten the Lordship of Christ in the church? So Peter says here very clearly that this is the work of God, that I'm going to quickly go through this, the foreknowledge of God, of the Father, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Son in bringing people unto salvation. God is the active agent. He brings us into this living hope. This is because of God's great, great mercy. We have confidence in this hope. And our text this morning, which is 1 Peter chapter 1, 4, and 5, we see these points here, the promise, the protection, and we see the power Right. We have a wonderful promise that's given to us in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, 4, and 5. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now Peter goes on to explain the content of this hope. It is centered on a key word, inheritance. Let's for a moment think about this word, inheritance. It is wealth that is passed down, all right? Or it is a legacy that a person receives as a family, mem- as a family member. So the thing that comes up in our minds when we think about this word inheritance, it is usually associated with wealth. It is associated with the death of a person who has left his or her money or property to a family member or whoever. It's like getting getting up one day and finding a letter in your mailbox from a law firm saying that your deceased uncle or auntie or friend has included you in their will. And has left a massive estate for you. A couple of million dollars. Think about that. You deserve it. (laughs) But it's come your way. It's been incorporated in the will. It's the inheritance that's been left behind for you. Wouldn't that be a real surprise? See, normally what we get in our mailboxes are bills, isn't it? But 
It's more than a bare surprise to get a, a thing that says you've got an inheritance. It is something that has been given to you. You can see the prodigal son, for example, he, he forgot about the relationship with his father, did he not? The son approached his father in, in Luke chapter 15, wanted his share of the inheritance while the father was alive. He was essentially saying to his father, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I can get my inheritance and go and spend it and squander it. And that's exactly what he did. He did not value the inheritance of his father. Now, Peter wants us to focus on this inheritance. The inheritance that Peter has in mind is one that cannot be cashed in here on earth. All right, It is something that is kept, something that is given by God. It is kept in heaven for his people. It is given out of his grace. You see why? Why would God do that? You see, our God is a generous God, is he not? The Bible tells us he is so generous that he lavishes us in love. He lavishes us with spiritual blessings. He is a God who is giving. He is an all-giving God. He gave his son to die on the cross for us. He's given us a great world for us to live in. The other night, I had an outreach uh, team meeting at the team leader's place, at Moody's place. I drove in a bit early there, and the meeting was 8 o'clock. I thought I wouldn't go in and disturb the Moody family, so I stood out of my the car, and I just looked up in the sky. It was a clear sky. A beautiful stars. Sometimes stop to look at it. First thing I went in, I said to Stephen, I was outside looking at the stars. What a beautiful reminder of God's handiwork. <laughs> Do we stop to look at the stars at times? A handiwork. God is so generous. He is so good and he is so gracious that he has also left for us a beautiful world. Yes, it is affected by sin, but he is a creative God. And so God has given an inheritance. Now to better understand this word inheritance in our text, I may briefly refer to the Old Testament. See, the Israelites knew the meaning of this word inheritance. Abraham was promised an inheritance, the land of Canaan. The promise is that they would inherit this land, and this became the central aspect of Old Testament theology. For example, we read this. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise is there. And if you read the Old Testament books, we see God at work to fulfill this promise, revealing his awesomeness. But Israel's inheritance was never safe. Never safe. So when Peter speaks of an inheritance here, his readers were well aware of what it meant for the Israelites. And the inheritance that Peter has in mind, as I just mentioned, is not an earthly one somewhere. It's not an earthly land that has been promised to us. It is an inheritance that is kept where? Where is it kept? In heaven. That's what it is. This inheritance is part of the living hope which is ours because of the resurrection of Jesus. And this raises then the fundamental questions about life after death. Because as we see, this inheritance is kept in heaven. We don't have it on earth. Which means, we need to ask ourselves the question, is there life after death? What happens when we die? Is there more to life than this earthly life? 
What happens when we stop breathing? Is that it? When you and I die, is that it? Is there no hope? Think about it, friends. There are many views about the subject of life after death. For example, the naturalist would say that would maintain that there is no soul. You are just a body that decays, and when you die, you you as a person cease to exist. The universalist would, would maintain that in the end, everyone goes to heaven, and all roads lead to God. So no matter what you do, where, who you believe, whatever happens, you go to heaven. The those who believe in reincarnation would maintain that you will be born in different ways, to different people perhaps. Bertrand, uh, the guy, Bertrand Russell, the well-known atheist, wrote in 1925, I believe that when I die, I shall rot, and nothing of my own ego will survive. I will rot. That, that will happen, right? Our bodies will undergo a decomposing process. But is this your view of life after death? What a pathetic view. What a sad view. What a view that has no hope that I'm living here now and I die and that's it. But the Bible speaks about something, friends. This is a gospel message this morning. And I want us to be encouraged today that the Bible speaks about an inheritance that God has kept in heaven. Imagine if we live our lives just for this world, there will be no consciousness, there's no happiness, there's no eternity, no hope in this life and for the future. It is sad and in a state of hopelessness. It is a lost state. But there is a place called heaven. And this is the protection we have. There's also a place called? The two places. One is heaven and the other is? Is hell. We don't, we don't hear much about that these days, don't we? Oh, we don't, but, but it's funny. People use the word hell many times in their conversations. Right? They might say, da, 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 so, and so forth. Does that make sense? I don't want to repeat the words on the pulpit. Right? You see, we use the word many times in our conversations, this word hell. But we don't actually want to discuss it. To speak about hell would not be the politically right thing to do. To speak about hell is not the Christian thing to do. But the Bible speaks about two destinations, heaven and hell. And I'm not going to focus on hell this morning. But just to say this, hell is a place of torment. It's a place of judgment. You know, some people say, ah, oh, I'll go to hell and have a beer with my might. You won't be having beer there. Not according to scriptures. It's a place of torment. You see, that brings us, friends, that brings us, brings me to the question, you know, are we a missional church? Do we really care for those who are lost? Do we really think about that teenager, that young person, that older person, the other person who does not know Christ? Someone once said to me, and I don't, I don't know, you might have your own take on this, uh, as Christians we can become very fat Christians. Not as in physically, but we can become so spiritually fat that we just keep it to ourselves and quite happy. What about the lost? What about this church? What about our mission to this world? But think about these things with us. So there's a protection given to us. It is, and, and, and Peter says this about this, this, this inheritance, let me keep moving. It is, un, it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, it is unfading. Three things. It will not rot, 
this inheritance will not rot. It will not decay. It is not subject to death. It cannot be corrupted. You see, this is what God says here. This inheritance is permanent. It is safe. It is undefiled. It is hard to imagine a world that is undefiled. A world where, where there will be no more, no need to lock our doors, no need for security alarms, no need for surveillance cameras, no need for police. But this inheritance will not be defiled. Everything in this world is stained, it's polluted by sin, but God says the inheritance I have kept for you is free from pollution. It is pure. Further, this inheritance that God has kept for us is unfading. You see, a flower that we might give flowers, give flowers to our wives or friends, right? And they're, they're wonderful, right? For a little while, got lovely flowers here. Right? After a while, the flowers fade away, don't they? they? Lose their beauty and they're gone. But the inheritance that we have here is unfading. That's the word that we have here. See, think about our bodies. As one gets older, you begin to see the fading process more clearly, don't we? We might refuse to see it, but it happens. Right? But this is not the case with the inheritance that is taught for us by God. The word that is used here in the secular Greek speaks of this flower that fades away. But the inheritance will never fade away. The inheritance will not change and no one will be able to plunder it. It is safe, it is secure, and no one can challenge the legal status of that inheritance. No one can challenge the God's will in that regard for your life. You see, normally when people write a will, others can come and challenge the will, right? They can take you to court and challenge it. But this will, no one can challenge. And it is kept by the power as well. Peter says this, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. It is shielded. It is an army term. It is kept. It is protected. Yes, Christians will be persecuted. Yes, some will die on account of their faith in Christ. I read an article this past week of a pastor. Who underwent so much suffering I gave, gave a copy of the article to one of the people in our Bible growth group uh, on Friday. I just couldn't read it in a particular country. You know, his family undergone so much persecution. I think, how does this fit in? God? I'm preparing a sermon. It's okay for us here in Australia, but think about our brothers and sisters. I think, well, this inheritance that God has in store is for people like them and for us, his people. Nothing will touch it. Isn't that amazing? You see, when things look to be at their worst, you could be tempted to think that God has forgotten you. No, he has not. Your name has not been lost due to some error in a computer system. He has shielded you. He has protected you. He has kept you. And he has kept an inheritance that will never fade, friends. Ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, we have a wonderful text here in in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Let's read it. Let's read the text here. However, as it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. We're not seeing it. See? Revelation, the passage we read, says this. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name 
will be on their foreheads. Now, Peter doesn't tell us, as I conclude, what this inheritance is. He doesn't tell us. All right? He doesn't tell us. One thing we know. We will see our Savior, and we will see his face. That's the best inheritance. The second thing is that God has kept something for us which will never fade, undefiled, untouchable. And that calls us to be encouraged this morning in our service for him. Right? Let me encourage you this morning to know that God has been good to you and he has protected you, has kept an inheritance that is lasting. All the worldly things we have will go. You can't take it along with behind the, behind the hearse in a coffin in a, being pulled in a trailer or something to your grave. It can't be. It's gone. But the inheritance that God has for us is untouchable. Praise be to our God. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a living hope in Christ. Thank you that you've given us an inheritance that will not fade away, undefiled, untouched, pure, is kept in heaven for us, your people. I pray this morning, if there is anyone here who is not a Christian, that today such a person will be converted by you and think about their lives, why they are here, what are their purpose, where are they heading towards. And for those of us who know you, Stir our hearts to be encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.